Jesus for that, right? So I want to read to you Nehemiah uh, chapter 9. So if you would, please stand in honor of God's Word as I read. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Cherubiah, Bani, and Chenani, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Cherubiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord. You alone, you have made heaven the heaven of heavens and with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. 
Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples, and allotted to them every corner. So they took position, possession of the of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. And you multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. And so the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land so that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things and cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. And so they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules. With your, a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the peoples of the land. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the day of the king of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves to this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we read these words and we are amazed at your sovereign mercy and your great grace to your people. We hear their prayers of confession. And Father, we recognize in them many things 
that we too need to confess before you. And Father, we pray that today we would respond to your word in a way that causes a revival in our own hearts. That as your spirit works, that he would bring transformation in us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this whole chapter, if you look at it closely, is about the kind of revival that God brings. And if you look at the first five verses, what you see in them is that revival occurs not as a rush of emotion or in response to some event. Remember back on 9-11, about two weeks after that, all the churches were full for those two weeks. But after the fears of that event were done, so was everybody's church attendance, remember? Those of you who were around then. But it occurs, the real revival that God brings occurs in response to God's word being proclaimed. If you look at the text with me, you'll remember back a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Josh preached through chapter 8. And what happened in chapter 8? You remember? They gathered all the people together and they preached God's word to them. Ezra the priest read the word of God and then all the Levites spanned out and explained what the word of God meant. And all of the people were struck by how far they were from what God had told them to do. And they were overwhelmed with the desire to repent and to come near to God again. But because it was not the time for repentance, it was the time for celebration, they said, we will mourn our sin and we will repent in an official way, in a, in a, in a community way here later. But today is the day for celebration. Today is the day for feasting. And so we won't do that right now. But we will do that because it's important. So this is now three weeks later. That happened on the first day of the seventh month. This is now uh, the 24th day of the seventh month, this same month. And uh, the people all gather, and notice how they gather. They gather in sackcloth. They gather with fasting. They gather uh, with dust on their heads. They want to show by their posture, and by the way that they come before God, that they are serious about repentance. In addition to that, they separated themselves from all foreigners. Now, it wasn't because there was something wrong with foreign people, necessarily. It was that it wasn't their ethnicity that was a problem. It was their idolatry. Amen? And these foreigners that lived among them were people who worshipped all kinds of idols and gods, plural. And therefore, they could not be uh, connected to and, in, and involved in worship with such people. And they said, look, we've got to separate ourselves from all of these idolaters. And we need to come together as the people of God, the people who authentically worship the God of heaven, the who made covenant with us. Amen? And so they separate themselves from the wicked and they gather 
with God's people. Uh, but genuine repentance, you'll notice, is not limited to a time when your emotions are high. As it was this initial time three weeks earlier, uh, it endures over time. It's, it's durable. It holds up. And as you listen to God's word proclaimed, and these people respond to God's word with complete repentance. Notice how it's manifested. It's, notif- no, motiv- it's manifested in how they dress, how they come before God in humility, how they interact with other people. And then they begin confessing their sins. Do you see that? Look at these first five verses. They confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law for a quarter of the day. They spent six hours reading God's word standing. Y'all, there's a reason we stand. I've encouraged you to stand if you can as we read God's word. It's because God's word is meant to be honored and revered, right? There's a reason why we preach God's word from an elevated platform and we put it on something that is elevated. And it is because we are communicating to ourselves that, that we sit under the authority of God's word and that God's word reigns over us as his people. Amen. We reflect that in the architecture of the place where we gather, just as they did in Nehemiah chapter 8. And they made confession of their sins for a quarter of the day and worshiped the Lord their God. They spent six hours reading God's word and six hours confessing and worshiping. Imagine that. They're responding to God's word proclaimed. And by the way, that is why we spend so much of our time in the service every week here devoted to God's word. It isn't because we uh, you know, can't come up with anything else fun to do on Sunday morning, right? You know, we could have skits, we could have laser light shows, we could have a whole bunch of other stuff going on here besides singing and prayer and giving and the reading and the, the explanation of God's word is because the kind of revival that God brings is based on a response to his word. Because God's word is the primary means that his Holy Spirit uses to speak to us and to change us and to uh, revive us and to fill us with the knowledge of his will and to enable us to respond to it. God speaks through his word. Amen? And when he speaks to His through his word and we listen, then revival comes. And what they, how does it come? How, do they, how does it manifest itself in a big way? Well, it's in the next basically uh, 32 verses. Very long verses, by the way. Uh, as they start to confess their sin, uh, all of a sudden the Levites break forth and they say, you know what we need to do is we need to praise God. We need to bless the Lord. And so he says, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, from eternity to eternity. 
in a never-ending way. Blessed be God, your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And, and then, and then they, there's this huge section of, of them exalting and celebrating God's character while specifically, and that word is important, specifically confessing their sin, right? You know, when you confess your sin, it's important to do so specifically. Not to, not to say, well, God, you know, I've been, I've, I've been kind of angry this year. Um, you know, I haven't been as honest as I would like. I think I've gossiped a few times. That kind of thing, right? But to get into the nitty-gritty and the detail of it and to call it what he calls it and to respond to specific incidents with specific confession. God, when I lashed out at my wife yesterday in anger and frustration at her, that was sinful anger and rage. And that with sin and evil, and Father, I confess to you. Amen. When I didn't obey my mom yesterday, I rejected what she had given me as instruction. That was sinful and wicked and deserving of your punishment, God. I confess my sin to you. And so on, and so on. It's specific. It's not in general. It's a rifle shot, not a shotgun pattern. Amen. We're not trying to just throw it out there and see, hope we hit something. We're going to precisely focus in on where we're in sin and bring that before the Lord. And that's what these people do. As you look at this, there's, there's three major sections of verses 6 through 31 where they do this. Uh, the first section is verses 6 through 8, which basically covers the book of Genesis. Uh, in these verses, what they mostly do is uh, praise God for the fact that He is their Creator who made all things by His power and who's therefore worthy of worship by all things in creation. They celebrate the fact that the angels worship God, that all other things in creation worship God. He is praised as the God who called Abram out of paganism in Ur of the Chaldeans. They know where Ur is. They have been there. They were in exile not far from there. And they were remembering the fact that God called Ur out of this place devoted to the worship of the moon god and that God called that man to himself and established a covenant with him and converted him and gave him a new name, Abraham. A name that didn't, didn't celebrate the fact that he had an exalted father, Terah, but that he himself would be an exalted father, the father of many nations, Abraham. And he gave him a covenant and he promised him that he would give him the land of Canaan and it celebrates God's faithfulness in keeping covenant not only with Abraham for his entire life, but also to all his descendants, which includes them. And by the way, that by faith also includes us. We are also children of Abraham by faith. Amen? And the second section uh, is verses 9 through 25, which summarize Israel's history from Exodus through Joshua. 
What they're doing is walking through their history from Genesis all the way to Chronicles. And they're walking through and they are, and these verses go Exodus to the end of Joshua. So they cover Exodus, Numbers, uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all in these, all in this prayer. Joshua too. And they celebrate the fact that God, from the beginning of the book of Exodus, do you remember if you read it? Uh, the fact that the people are enslaved in Egypt and they are crying out to God and God heard their cries for deliverance. He heard their cries crying out from slavery in Egypt and He delivered them in a mighty way. He took them from slavery with signs and wonders and He led them through the waters of the Red Sea on dry land and He led them in the wilderness with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud in the daytime. And He fed them with manna and He gave them water from the rock and He took them up to the promised land despite their rebellion. And even though the Exodus generation rebelled, He sustained them for another 40 years in the desert. He never left them alone. He gave them water from the rock. He gave them manna in the wilderness. He gave them the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And He met with them at the tabernacle every single day for 40 years. And then when Joshua came, He led them into the land. He led them into the land. They crossed over Jordan. They even received land on both sides of the Jordan. Not only the land of Canaan, but also the land of Og and the land of Sihon, which is that, that area of highlands up on the east side of the Jordan, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That was theirs. That was the area of Bashan and Gilead later on. It was an amazing promise that God gave them more than He promised to give them. And they enjoyed it all. They enjoyed every bit of it. In fact, it says they became fat. Those of you who are looking for a positive reference to gaining weight, it's right there in your Bible, right? That the blessing of God is to get fat, right? And, um, and to enjoy the pleasure that God had given them. And through all this, God revealed His grace and His mercy, His slowness to anger and the abundance of His steadfast love. But these, also, these verses also can include very specific confession of their nation's sin. You see that? It's beautifully wrapped in the middle between exaltation of God and His deliverance and His grace and His mercy the front, and then at the end, the same thing. But right in the middle of that sandwich, they confess that we acted presumptuously, that we stiffened our necks. You know what that means? What that's about? If you take an ox and you put a yoke on him, now I've never done this, so I have to learn this, right? But if you take an ox and you put a yoke on him and he doesn't relax, under the yoke. What he does is he stiffens his neck out. And that thing just beats him to death. 
as long as he has a stiff neck. And it actually, he actually injures himself by his rebellion. It's a wonderful, beautiful, poetic picture of what rebellion against God's word is like. That you injure yourself by your sin. They stiffened their necks. They refused to obey God's commands. They appointed someone to take them back to slavery in Egypt. Can you imagine? I mean, I've had some hard days, but I've never thought, you know, I'd like to have somebody hit me with the whip a few more times. I'd like to move some rocks around and build the pyramids. You know, I, I no. I've never had that thought. But these people wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt rather than experience being led day by day through the wilderness with God. They even, in verse 18, confessed their worship of the golden calf and the immorality and idolatry associated with it. You know, if you read your Bible closely in the book of Exodus, uh, when that happens. It happens while Moses is up on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments. Uh, the people of Israel have seen the Lord's glory through all of the plagues. They have crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground. They have gotten uh, bread from heaven. They have been fled with, fed with an invasion of quail all around the camp, which if you've not eaten quail is really tasty. Uh, they have all of these blessings from God. They get water in a miraculous way. And it is phenomenal what God is doing. And in the middle of that, they say, as God speaks, we're going to do everything that the Lord has said. So God says, Moses, come up here. I'll give you the covenant. And they've already committed to doing it. So we're going to, this is going to be great, right? That's what you're thinking as you read this story. But in the very moment that God is giving the Ten Commandments and establishing His covenant with Israel and telling them, uh, telling Him, you shall have no other gods before Me and neither shall you make a graven image of any god or anything on the earth and you shall worship Me. And here are the regulations for, your, for the priesthood. And by the way, Aaron, your brother, will be the first of the high priests. And these are all the instructions for how to do that, that whole book of Leviticus that you fall asleep in. Uh, uh, all of these regulations are in there and they're being given to Moses on the mountain. Meanwhile, at the bottom of the mountain, Moses, the future high, I mean, Aaron, the future high priest, is leading the people in the worship of a golden calf idol. And they are engaged in sexual immorality around it. At the very moment, God is revealing his covenant. They are in the process of breaking every facet of it. And they confess their sin. The third section is verses 26 to 31, which summarizes Israel's history from Judges through Chronicles. These verses began opposite the previous section. The last section celebrated God's faithfulness, confessed their sin, and ends with a celebration of God's faithfulness. This one begins with confession and ends in praises, if you look at it. They confessed that despite all of their blessings, despite all of the wonderfulness that God had lavished on them, the people were disobedient and, and uh, rebelled against God. It says they cast His law behind their backs. You know, the psalmist celebrates the fact that he says, I have set 
your word always before me. This is what they did. I'm not listening. I'm not reading. I'm not hearing any of that anymore. I'm going to put that behind me and move on from it. It says that they they killed the prophets whom God sent to warn them to repent. And so God, in His mercy, justly punished them for their rebellion. And out of His mercy, as they cried out in response and in repentance to the punishment they had received, they also then repented. And so then God said, oh, I'll send a deliverer for you. And then once they were delivered, guess what they did? They went right back to their sin. And so then God sent warnings and prophets and he sent punishment for their sin. And then they would go, oh, gosh, this is terrible. We need to repent. And then they would repent for a minute and God would send them a deliverer to deliver them. And as soon as their circumstances changed, they would go right back into sin again. And over and over and over and over and over again. That that circle continued, but God's mercy continued just as much. His forgiveness continued despite the cycle of sin and rebellion that, trust me, God knew in advance was going to continue. In their presumption and disobedience to God's good law revealed that revealed the way of salvation by faith in God, they still turned, you see this, a hard shoulder to God and his word, and they refused to obey. They gave God, we would say, the cold shoulder. They turned and would not listen to him. And this section makes for kind of depressing reading because it ends in verse 30 with the exile as they're reciting their history. They went into exile. He went from Judges all the way to Chronicles. And they're in exile. But look at verse 31. If you're looking for a verse to highlight, this is a really good one. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and a merciful God. Is that what you expect to see? It should be. Because God is a gracious and a merciful God to all generations of people despite their sinfulness. And so God, who had made a covenant with these people, would not abandon them to their sin. He would not abandon them to the punishment for their sin. And so he redeems. And they celebrate that. It ends in praise over that fact. And this prayer, these people's prayer of worshipful confession has come right up to the day that they are in, in a crescendo of real spiritual revival in response to the word. And they have been celebrating God's goodness to them and also specifically confessing their sin. And now they're renewing their relationship with God. That's what you see in 32 to 38. That's last section of the book is a renewal of their relationship with God. And here's where it gets deeply personal, where they identify themselves 
as the same kind of sinful people as their ancestors, who are guilty, therefore, of the same kind of sinfulness and guilty and deserving of the same kinds of punishment as their ancestors received. Now, let me just as an aside, y'all ever read your Bible like this? Where you read your Bible and you look and, and you look in the Old Testament and you go, gosh, those Israelites, I mean, they were some foolish and sinful people. I mean, that church at Corinth, wow, they, I mean, they had some wheels off stuff going on in there. I'm so glad that I'm not like them people. Any of y'all ever been guilty of doing that? It's easy to do, right? To, to establish a distance between God's people in the past and yourself and to think of yourself because of the great wisdom, piety, and godliness that you have. Amen? To... Uh, to think of yourself as distinct from all of these foolish and wicked people that you read about in your Bible, right? But that's not how these people read their Bible. They looked at it and said, you know what? These people who rebelled against Moses in the desert and wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt, those, that's me. Those are my people that wanted to do that. I, if I'd been there, I probably wouldn't have wanted to go. Uh, those people who engaged in that idolatrous, immoral, golden calf worship, I probably would have been in the mix. Those people who stiffened their necks in the time of the judges and in the time of the kings and who did not listen to the prophets but would rather kill them than listen to God's word proclaimed, I'm probably one of them. Right? And they identify themselves with those people, and we should too, by the way. They acknowledge God's righteousness against, against their sin and that His punishment that He has handed down is right. And the fact that He has been so good and so faithful and so merciful to them that because of what they know about God, they say, you know, God, we deserve everything we've gotten. In fact, we deserve to have it continue. But we cry out to you for mercy once again. They know that he is a good and merciful God who forgives, who restores sin, who restores, who restores from sin, who restores his people. And so they ask for deliverance and that God would take notice of their plight and they would say, God, we, we've been suffering for a long time. We are in great distress and we are coming to you. And we are going to renew our covenant with you in writing and commit ourselves to live in renewed obedience, in renewed walking in repentance with you as we have just been prayerfully proclaiming to you, we are going to do it. And this, to me, is a wonderful, amazing, encouraging conclusion to a wonderful, encouraging, amazing chapter in a great book of Scripture. And it points us toward how we, God's people in 2021, can also experience revival and renewal in our relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, can we just acknowledge that the last 12 months have been a challenge? Right? More than a little bit of a challenge, they've been a struggle for most of us. There's been isolation. There's been the cancellation of all kinds of fun things that we normally enjoy and that would make life 
more fun and more more worth living. And and we've been separated from each other and haven't been able to draw together in groups and and we need that. And we haven't been able to worship God, all of us, in the way that we want to, and we haven't been able to be all together with our brothers and sisters in the way that we want to. We haven't been able to do many of the things we want to do. And for some of us, that has led us into sin. We've gotten separated from our brothers and sisters, and along with that, we've gotten separated in our relationship with God, and we've kind of moved away from Him, and some of us have wandered off into sin. And some of us may not have wandered off into sin exactly. It's just that our relationship with God has grown stale and and boring and cold. And here's what you need to know. Whatever situation you're in here in 2021, the magnificent truth that the Bible reveals to us is the same process of, of repentance and renewal of their relationship with God that these people enjoyed is the same one that we can put into practice in our lives today. And that is, first of all, you've got to respond to God's Word. The revival that breaks out in chapters 8 through 10 of this book is glorious to behold, and it is it happens when an entire nation turns to the Lord and seeks His face. But notice how it happens. It's not a merely emotional response. As if well, we would just get everybody to feel the right things and feel badly about their sin enough, well then we'll get transformation. It, it certainly includes emotion, but it's not merely emotional. It's a response to God's Word and hearing God's Word proclaimed and understanding it and responding to it. Because God's word is the primary means by which God speaks to his people and reveals his will and his character and his glory to us. And if we want to find revival, we need to understand how it happens. It doesn't happen through an election. It doesn't happen through the change in the laws. It doesn't happen through turning on the laser lights at church. It doesn't happen in any of these uh, external manipulative ways. It happens as we see ourselves in light of God's Word and His glory and we are so struck dumb by His glory and His power and His majesty and His goodness to us that we cannot help but celebrate both His goodness and our sinfulness. And we come to God and we say to Him, You are amazing. You are a good God and a gracious God and an exalted Father who loves His children and I am a sinner. And I need forgiveness and here is all the things that I lay before you. And then we renew our relationship with God. And men and women, this is the goal of worship. In case case you were curious, or maybe you never knew, the reason that we gather in worship every week is, is so that this process will play itself out, that we will see and examine the glory and the grandeur and the amazing Uh, God that we worship and serve and see Him in all of His glory and behold Him as Isaiah did in chapter 6 and say, woe is me. 
that I, a man of unclean lips, who dwells among a people of unclean lips, has seen the King. And in light of His glory and His greatness and His power and His majesty, I need to confess my sin. In response to God's Word and what it reveals to me, I confess And as I make my sin known, what I get to do then is I get to not draw back from God. But as the angel brought the coal to Isaiah to draw near to God. And to get closer and closer to Him. And as we continue on a daily basis, on a weekly basis with our brothers and sisters to be confronted by God's Word and to see who He is and see who we are in light of it, to then let go of the ways in which we are not like Him and draw near to Him. As we do that, guess what? We get closer and closer and closer to God and the ratchet begins to advance in our spiritual life. And we are lit aflame with the glory of God from the inside. And we begin to experience His holiness and we are intoxicated by His beauty and we cannot get enough of the worship of God. And revival comes. Amen? That's how it comes to a person. And that's how it comes to a nation is when God's people begin to be lit aflame with the glory of God and begin to reflect His presence in their lives. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I pray for us that we would be amazed by You that we would look at your history of redemption of your people and we would see both your mercy and your faithfulness and your covenant keeping and your holiness and your beauty and the amazing things that you do and be so in awe of you, Father. And that we would see our sins so clearly that we cannot help ourselves but to confess it and to be to be delivered of it that we might draw near to you and experience more and more and more of you because we are hungry for you father i pray that would be true of each man and woman each boy and girl here in this room and each one joining us online and each person who might watch the video later father i pray that they would be lit with the fire of the Holy Spirit within them. That they might be revived in their hearts before you. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.